Hello and welcome to part two of the Medicine 360 conversation around functional neurological disorder with Katie Rose Bennett and Professor John Stone. Great. I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about your songwriting, Katie. Um, I've had I've had a listen to sure. Darling, Dear Darling quite a few times now. Let's have a listen. Darling, dear darling, I wish I were home The clock on the tower strikes one A lady is crying and I cannot sleep For fear of what is to come My mind is on fire, my body's on strike Something must be terribly wrong Keep folding these paper buds all through the night Wondering where my sanity's gone I wish, I wish, I wish I were home Darling, dear darling, I wish I were home Darling, dear darling, I wish I were home clock on the tower strikes two The lady's now shouting and I'm wide awake Feeling guilty for frightening you The nurses, they whisper, they think I'm a fraud I can hear every thought in their heads But there's one who is kind and remembers my name as I lay here chained to this bed I wish, I wish, I wish I were home Darling, dear darling, I wish I were home Darling, dear darling, I wish I were home The clock on the tower strikes three lady is screaming she shouldn't be here and I am inclined to agree I carry myself all the way to the bathroom full naked alone on the floor the nurse with the kind eye she comes to my aid and I cry like that lady before I wish I I wish I were home Darling, dear darling I wish I wish I wish I wish I were Darling, dear darling I wish I were home So tell us yeah, tell us tell us all about it really well, I, I received a little bit of funding from the English Folk Dance and Song Society last year um, to do some initial research into what I hope will be a, th- a theatre, music, storytelling, song piece about um, functional neurological disorder. It's in its early stages of development. Mm. And through this process, I looked at some old folk songs from the Victorian era, actually. And one song I found was a song called Father Come Home. It is about 
it's a story about a, a, a daughter calling to her father to it's a story song if you like and I took the structure of this song and used it to create a, a song about essentially about my first first couple of nights in hospital um, just prior to being given an FND diagnosis and it's really just about the the anxiety of it all because when you when you don't have a, a a cause for something that's going wrong with your body I think your mind goes to all the places it could go I mean I I thought I might have MS I thought I might have MND or all sorts of different things going on I'd kind of done that terrible thing of googling and finding all these potential causes for this and so it's about it's a really it's a song about the feeling I had then which was four years ago now and about the response to the medical professions around me and my response to being a patient um with uh with a on on a ward actually with several women with with dementia late stage dementia who were who were struggling to sleep in the night and shouting out in the night and it was I suppose it was it was a way of communicating to communicating to anyone really about that experience of just not knowing what's going on and the 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 feeling the emotional feeling but also the physical feeling of that yeah I mean it's it's a it's a beautiful song if I I may say so Katie thank Um, you and there there are definitely some lyrics that I found particularly powerful um the line my mind is on fire my body's on strike I thought was I thought was 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 fascinating and I think that will speak to to a lot of (laughs) people who have half fnd and and in a way that's what we were just talking about you know that that it, it, it is it, the mind and the mind and body and brain are not separate things yeah. they're all all so connected and one can set the other off you know and even even the phrase my body's on strike that's it it's it's not saying that the body is there's something necessarily structurally wrong but the body has just stopped functioning so i thought that's, that's a brilliant yeah. a brilliant metaphor in itself <laughs> I hadn't even thought that. Yeah, absolutely. Because absolutely, it's 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 putting down its its uh, its instruments for the day and saying no, I'm not doing exactly. this. Absolutely, John, we're giving you plenty yeah. of metaphors yeah. for your. Yeah, I, agree. I agree completely. I, I yeah, I I noticed that line as well. And actually, for patients with seizures with FND, it's very much a kind of shutdown, a sudden shutdown. They often have a sort of there is, you know, if you talk if you talk to people with FND seizures, they'll often have a some of them anyway have a sort of warning symptom, where it's just a sort of overwhelming, unbearable mm. feeling which they just can't quite describe, and it really makes sense that their body goes on or the brain says, look, I'm not having, an, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna shut down now because this is intolerable, um, but it's the it's the body doing it, it's not the mm. person doing it on purpose, you know, or it's a reflex sort of response. So yeah, definitely rings true yeah and i'm glad you mentioned the sort of uh, the seizures as part of functional neurological disorder because that sometimes often gets um missed out and i've i've heard some terrible things i mean it's, it's still often called pseudo seizures which i think is is a is a pretty stigmatizing um uh, expression um and then i've I, you know i've heard people say really bad things you can sort of you know if someone's having a seizure I've, I've been told that what you can do is you can put their hand towards their um, arm. Oh, no, you put their arm towards their head and see if they hit themselves. In a real seizure, they wouldn't. Uh, they would 
they would hit themselves in a pseudo seizure they won't um and i just think you know it 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 just adds to this whole narrative that they're making it up well actually that i mean that's called the arm drop test and i mean I'm sorry that you're still being taught or being exposed to those sorts of ideas. It doesn't surprise me, though, particularly from perhaps in non-neurological training settings and and the emergency department. It's actually a really bad test, you know. So, if, uh, so if you do put it in a good message, don't use it. It's not even diagnostically helpful for various reasons. Mm-hmm. But yeah, some dreadful things go on. People you know, will say, "Oh, I'm going to get the big needle out," you know, and then. See if see if the person flinches. None of these things are necessary. We have a whole range of clinical features of FND-related seizures that are that can help you make a positive diagnosis often quite easily. So, for example, if the patient's eyes are tightly closed, if they are breathing fast, very long duration seizures, if the movements are shaking rather than jerking. So, we don't need to do these things. We don't need to, and and it but it does border on abuse and the. Patients frequently have yeah, frequently have yeah. terrible experiences from um, unfortunately after you know from paramedics, and I think this all boils down to people that don't know what to do. And I think if they don't know what to do with a, with a condition, then you either have to admit that you don't know what you're doing, which is actually quite it's difficult for people to do, or you can find some excuse for why it's okay for you not to know what you're doing. And one of those excuses is well, this person's probably making it up. So I think a lot of it comes from it's the same reason people laugh. You know, they laugh when they don't understand something. So I think it's it's it is remediable potentially by training, but we we are left with a disorder that at times looks like someone's making up. That's which perhaps is going to be harder to overcome. And then Katie, I just wanted to ask, sort of what what does your music mean to you? Is it a form of is it sort of therapeutic for you or is it merely a way for you to express your feelings i i i argue what's the difference between the two of those <laughs> questions um but yeah I, I mean i'm i'm a trained music therapist uh although i don't practice any longer so music has always been a, a very therapeutic means whether it's to lift mood or to explore feelings and emotions uh, yeah it's it songwriting for me has always been a process to help me understand the world understand what's going on inside for my internal world and and my relationships and the world outside so it's it's the thing I turn to when I when thinking or reading or about something doesn't doesn't uh, help then I I use song as a way to I suppose one communicate to others what's going on Mm. or uh, a feeling um, but also to help help me understand myself and it's but it's not it's not I think it's 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 very much about you know using song as a vessel of communication because you because with with the darling the darling song for instance uh, you know I've that's out in the world and I've had a few lovely messages from other people who have FND saying that captures my experience perfectly. It really resonates. It really, um, it, I feel heard hearing that being sung actually. And that feels, that kind of, that's essentially, that feels really, as a songwriter, that's really what you want to want to do is to connect with an audience. Yeah. And I think it's, that's kind of almost what folk music is meant to be. It, it has that essence of communalism to it. 
Um, Absolutely. And I, I wonder yeah. if, if that was a conscious choice to choose folk as, as a, a sort of a, a for the FND community as a form of support. I mean, no, I, I guess I've, 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 I've always kind of, I've always played folk music uh, in, in, as a, I've always been a songwriter since for the last 25 years. And uh, it's just, it's just, it's my medium, I suppose. Yeah. I make some quite weird experimental music as well. And okay. maybe I'll make an FND piece, which is weird and experimental at some point as well. I, but I, but I think there's, a, there's, I'm going to say simplicity, although I don't really mean simplicity. I think there's there's a way of communicating quite uh, kind of directly through folk song, which uh, maybe is, if you have the, just the kind of, I don't know, say a voice and a guitar communicating, it's a very direct communication, I think. And I think folk is, yeah, it's it. I, I kind of focus mm. on the music I play, so I always find... So why do you do folk? I always find that an odd question. It's like, well, that's what I do. <laughs> why would I do anything else? Um, but yes, absolutely. I think I think it's very much a, a <laughs> music that brings people together and yeah, and di- directly speaking to people who are suffering from similar problems to you. So, from your sort of personal experience of FND, what do you think is missing from the support you've had, or? or yeah, what, what's worked just, for you? I mean, just what to hasn't? focus on the positive for a moment, and that, as I said, I think what was really great is that I did, I was, I had two years of psychotherapy on the NHS, which I think is quite unusual, and that was mm. that was that was kind of transformed my life. To be honest, it was really, in lots of ways, was really really positive, and although it wasn't specific FND focused, it was, it helped me with my life with with getting my life back on track really in terms of what was missing I think I just recently discovered that there is within my area there is a neuropsychiatric um, department related to the hospital where I was at and I'm a bit frustrated that I wasn't you know referred to to that service I'm going to Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to be trying to get referred to that service because I I would I think one I did receive a little bit of physiotherapy support which for me felt really Mm -hmm. important but it was very much well okay so you can you can climb stairs now you can you can do we can tick these boxes you can do those things now so you don't need our support and I think for me it was I need some support because today I can climb the stairs fine and I don't need support but on the days when I can't I need strategies and ways to manage my physical you know the things I how, how do I, I don't really know how to structure physical activity because some days I have very little energy and some days I have lots of energy and and I, mm-hmm. I think kind of really FND specific support around physio and physical um, and variability because I think generally physio is tends to be about kind of more linear progress through recovery whereas with FND it's for me it's obviously more fluctuating if that makes sense yeah so a bit more long-term support as to how to sort of it's all yeah a bit about managing expectations and knowing how to um how to deal with that variability and how to slowly improve it in a like you said a a non-linear way which is a strange way to think about it but I think that's that's kind yeah, of and one accurate. other thing is in, in terms of 
I felt a little bit that the new neurology team didn't really know what to do with it and the psychiatry team didn't really know what to do with me and I felt like I kind mm. of fell slightly between the cracks and I think just a little bit more integration between I mean that's what we're kind of talking we're talking about brain and mind aren't we so an integration between the two which I think obviously that does exist in places in the some places in the country and in the world but didn't feel that was connected if that makes sense yeah and well I I imagine this sort of reconceptualization of FND is still relatively new um, John, what kind of role have you played personally in this um, in this sort of shift of attitude? Uh, well, I think I have played I've played a role. I mean, there, there is now actually quite a flourishing community of uh, FND clinicians and researchers around the world. We started um, in fact, my, my colleague Alan Carson here in Edinburgh, who's a neuropsychiatrist, and I um, organised a conference here in Edinburgh in 2017 with a guy Mark Hallett, NIH, who's also been very important in this field in the US. And uh, Alan said, let's book the assembly rooms. And I said, Alan, you're mad. You know, how are we going to fill the assembly rooms? It's cost £10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, but five, 550 people came, and I couldn't believe it, uh, to this meeting in 2017. And we've, mm-hmm. and we've started um, this FND society a couple of years ago, and we've got about 780 members, and we do webinars and that sort of thing. So actually, there's a lot of appetite for, for this. I think it just, when I've talked to clinicians, they they kind of know that it's an area they're not very good at and they want to be better at it, but they haven't really had, there hasn't been people around telling them what to do and researching what to do. And the other other thing that's been very helpful in this field is that people have, since since we uh, gain the ability to look at the function of the brain with functional MRI and other techniques, people have started researching to see, well, actually, is there a problem with the way these patients, people with FND, their brains are working? And the answer is yes, there is a problem. And it, it does look different to people pretending. And it actually starts to help join up the dots a bit. So I think my, my personal role has probably been in making that website did help because, I mean, I made it initially just for yeah. to help my own practice because there was just not enough time to sort of cram everything in. And then I was just very pleased that other people started to find it useful. I do think it, it can be used. I think quite a lot of patients have negative experiences of it because neurologists will say, oh, you've got FND. They'll scribble the website on the top of the Daily Mail and say, off you go. Um, and then not really offer follow-up, which I think they wouldn't do that for people with similarly complex conditions like MS and epilepsy. They wouldn't say just discharge people. So we've, we've still got a long way to go. But things are things are looking up. But it's very patchy whether you happen to meet someone who's interested or has had training or not. But it is it is it is improving. I, can I, can I yeah. another theme actually that Katie brought out there in the, in her treatment because we talked about the, the sort of conceptual issues of is it neurological is it psychiatric? Well, it's kind of both, and it's at the interface. And I think that you also see that playing out in the treatment as well because people. I mean, it's fantastic that Katie had that therapy, and I've seen some fantastic results from longer-term therapy as well of very similar kind if it, when it's available, which often mm-hmm. isn't. Uh, but what you said, Katie, was about it would have been good to have a physio as well. And we've, we've in fact, there's, there's some really encouraging evidence now from randomised trials of physiotherapy for FND. If you choose, if you, as long as you select the right patients, it seems to be 
uh, can be very very helpful and i think what we're seeing with the physiotherapy is that it is that the physiotherapy treatment sort of is starting to merge a bit with the psychological therapy it's sort of cognitive behavioral physiotherapy at times where physio has to a physio has to know a bit about uh, psychology and a psychologist has to know a bit about arms and legs and the body which they actually don't tend to know that much mm. about but they it's actually pretty rewarding for both for for all of us to to know a bit about what the other person's doing and it, it we, we're a bit siloed in medicine and we've sort of lost this ability to cross over into other people's territories a bit and that and you know use the phrase falling through the cracks katie that's such a common phrase i've you know i've used lots of times mm. as well in my work to describe what happens to patients because they it's the problem of the professions it's not the it's not the patient's fault they don't set out to have a disorder that falls through cracks we've we've made these cracks uh in the way that we've built our health system and we need to work out how to fill them in or do things differently yeah Absolutely. And when I was diagnosed, um, the, the, I was given John's website, Neurosymptoms website, as my, that, that was the, this is the diagnosis we give you, here's this website, goodbye, essentially. So mm. just the kind of experience John explained. I think it feels like it's, yeah. it's in terms of just thinking about art, and it's, it's like it's a little, a mosaic, a mosaic of provision, and some of the gaps between the pieces are really quite big, and you need a Maybe need to paint paint a picture rather than have a mosaic, just so it's really catches everything or something. Yeah, definitely, it's definitely attacking it from multiple multiple angles. And just just out of curiosity, John, you met you mentioned physiotherapy, but functional symptoms range from more than just weakness. There's there's the seizures, and you want to also mention functional blindness as well. Um, are there any other sort of therapies available for those other functional symptoms? Yes. No. I, well, actually, blindness and visual symptoms. Very, very little research on treatment. It's a, it, it's a diagnosis that you can make with a, quite a high degree of certainty because of the nature of visual testing. But again, remarkably little effort gone into. Well, what do we do about it? I, I published a couple of uh, patients who were blind who did then recover, and I. I published my experience of what we thought and the patient's experience of what we thought might have helped. There's a range of things we tried. In fact, for one of them, hip, um, hypnotherapy was helpful. And another, we used mm -hmm. transcranial magnetic stimulation of the occipital cortex to give them a kind of visual experience. If you do that, you get these sort of firework visual experience called phosphenes, and that seemed to help. But I think probably a lot was just more to do with taking an interest and being able to explain it. So other other therapies and other conditions, those speech problems are very common. People can develop new onset stutter or I've met patients who've not been able to speak at all for years. Um, and in fact, we're, we're just finishing a, a big piece of work with speech therapists around the around the world, actually, in this area. And, and and occupational therapists are also in a great position to help people mm. with FND. Their sort of modus is much more to do with um, tasks and participation. It's not so much to do with focusing on impairments. And they, as a, spe as a specialty, kind of cross that physical, psychological divide, mm. uh, much more comfortable sitting in the middle. So we wrote, we did a a document with them which we hope people will be looking at to sort of again recommendations for treatment 
So it definitely is, there's no one size fits all treatment here. And not everybody can be, mm. can be treated, even, even if a patient know, you know, has confidence about what's wrong and is motivated, it can be a really hard condition to get better from. So we shouldn't just think everyone can get better if you do the right thing. It's, it's a really miserable disorder to have. But certainly, I think we can do a lot better than we are. And I think uh, that's what we need to find out. And I think one of the big uh, problems around it is still the stigma around the condition. And I think everything that John does and all the work that many people do who have FND and who work with FND, just, just trying to reduce some of that stigma will make it easier for people who are diagnosed with it. I think uh, I think there has been a change. I mean, I, I, your sorts of experiences, Katie, are, I mean, at least you did actually receive a diagnosis of FND, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't in an ideal way. One could say that if that had happened to you 20 years ago, I bet you would have never, I bet you would have just been told nothing wrong and there wouldn't have been any anywhere anywhere to read about it and the mm-hmm. therapy had probably wouldn't have mentioned it. So no, no, no excuses. But I think things are changing slowly and I think there's a willingness for people to recognize generally to realize that they really must do better that they can't it's no longer good enough just to say well they're probably making it up or they're or probably probably it'll turn out to be something else which was the other excuse actually that psychiatrists often had when I was starting out I'd give lectures to psychiatrists and they would say well this isn't really a condition at all all these patients will just turn out to have MS or epilepsy in the end Um, and we've we've been, been able to show that that's not true either and just really one last question, um, very relevant, but how has FND treatment changed during COVID? I mean, things like therapy and physiotherapy, the, um, the, the treatment are all very dependent on being there in person. Has, has there been any alterations for that during, uh, the co- in, during COVID times? I'll be interested to hear Katie's experiences but I think in the very first period of COVID, what I was struck by was how many of my FND patients actually expressed a sense, of, not a sense of relief, but they felt that everyone else was getting to experience what they experienced, which was being shut up in your house all day, not being able to get out either because you couldn't walk or because you know many of my patients with FND do have terrible anxiety and fear of going to crowded places or social situations and having a government mandate telling you that you're no longer actually you're not allowed to do those things so don't really did actually improve I think some of my patients mental health because they weren't faced with that burden of feeling they ought to be doing those things there's some evidence actually about mental health in particularly anxiety disorders improving I think from Sweden there does seem to have been a you know it's not not all bad news about it but I think Obviously, there are many bad things about it. And one of the worst one was the complete cessation of physio for my patients. Although it did then start up my video. Our, our neuropsychologists carried on uh, with telephone calls, which I was really glad about, because quite a lot of services seemed to stop. For no, I wasn't really sure why. And I'm not sure people, you know, I've, I certainly carried on just with phone calls and video and WhatsApp. It's not as good as being face-to-face. But I didn't think there was a good reason to stop unless you were working somewhere else. I don't know. What, what's your been with your experience, Katie? I mean, just on two points you say, just in terms of ang- that, that thing about anxiety, I, I definitely felt a, an alleviation of my anxiety when lockdown was brought in because 
um, suddenly everyone everyone else was experiencing similar things to what I had experienced, so therefore it, was, it felt less. And also there was the things I might have felt anxious about, as you described, were no longer able to happen. So I there was very felt like a very controlled situation and didn't it had a much much lessening in terms of anxiety. In terms of accessing support, I I haven't really had any support for about a year and a half since before COVID. Although I'm 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 thinking that I need to get a little. I'm I'm trying. I'm going to try and receive a bit of additional support soon because um, I'm feeling like I need it. I have. I am still un- under psychiatry, but it, that's a kind of phone consultation every nine months or something at the moment. So it's. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. I think that actually, I I have one which will be in person, but that's the first in about a year and a half. Yes, I have. I I mean that's. I haven't got a great amount of support in place but I'm looking to ex- extend that but I think COVID I know has um I think I think it's interesting the long COVID there's been discussions uh, within FND community about about long COVID and about how everyone's seeing what it's like now <laughs> there's, a, there's an element of an understanding about what some of the the kind of unexplained, not, not you know, what some of the FND symptoms are like because there's a more it's being publicly spoken about. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's but it's a but it as John said earlier, it is also a little bit convoluted and a bit simplistic the descriptions of it as well. So it's both helpful and not helpful, I'd say. Right. Well, that's sort of everything that I wanted to cover. Have you got any sort of final comments, things that you wanted to say? Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about FND and I hope it's helpful for people who listen to this to understand the kind of thing that happens in this disorder. I just want to add as well, it's, it was great to hear your story, Casey, and you told, and you explained things really beautifully. And I think one of the things that I've, you know, when I first started giving lectures on this, I used to explain to try explain to doctors why patients were not making this up. And we had to, had to believe them. And actually, when you believe a patient, it becomes sort of horrifying that you've really got to do something about it. And I stopped. What I ended up doing was starting to play recordings of patients talking about their symptoms on camera, because I think that's the strongest possible argument for saying, come on, this is a real, this is actually happening. People cannot move their legs. This is really, um, you know, this, this excuse that you've got in your head about why you're, why you're not going to do anything doesn't wash so i think you've i think you've done a great job there katie of um, helping people to see this really is happening to people definitely thousands of people thank you so much john and katie for uh, joining the podcast it's been a really really interesting conversation i think and yeah. uh, hopefully one that will help a lot of people Thanks, hopefully change some attitudes in in medical students and professionals um, towards functional disorders as well thank you thank you so much for joining thank you vinay thanks vinay Thank you very much for listening to our latest Medicine360 podcast. If you want to find out more about the medical humanities, please go to www.medicine360.co.uk.